Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor because it allows me to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that I would probably have difficulty using anyways. So Anchor makes it all possible with a simple app. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Mavs, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mavs. On the Rat Sound Review Network. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Lou Mavs. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast through Anchor or on iTunes or through the Rat Salad Review Network. Hope everyone's doing well. Sorry it's been a week since my last podcast, but uh, it was Halloween and it was my birthday and just been very busy, but back to doing the podcast and again on the promise that I'll do it on a weekly basis. So Halloween was great. Uh, we dressed Anna up. <laughs> Anna, my daughter, my 15-month-old daughter, we were supposed to be the shark family. So, of course, she was baby shark. Erin, uh, my wife, she was mommy shark. I was daddy shark. And we tried to make Aloysius, our shih tzu, doggy shark. But uh, Murphy's Law set in. Let's see. The dog costume was too small, so it didn't fit him. <laughs> Uh, but it was the only one that was at uh, Party City, so what could I do? And Anna hated the uh, ba- uh, the shark head, the the hat uh, that the, that goes on her head. She she absolutely hated it. So what can you do? But uh, that's all right though. We uh, had T-shirts that said "Mommy Shark, Daddy Shark, Baby Shark." And on Halloween itself, actually, we also dressed her up as a ladybug. And I think she preferred that, even though, once again, I think my daughter, like me, does not like hats. I get yelled at all the time by my wife's family. Wear a hat, it's cold outside. Or wear a hat, it's too, uh, the sun's beating down. And, you know, my favorite hat is my clutch baseball hat. But I will wear a hat when I want to, not when I'm told to. All right. That's just 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 letting you know that right now. But I do accept baseball hats as gifts. And if I like them, I will wear them. The only problem is my head's too big for specific hats. So that's why I don't wear hats. It makes me feel self-conscious. I'd rather wear the hoodie of my hooded sweatshirt and, or, or a beanie. I'll wear beanies. Anyway, I'm coming to you right now from the studio, Le Toyota Corolla. Uh, just finished another Uber uh, Uber ride, meaning I'm driving. Not that I'm riding in an Uber, but I'm driving Uber. You know, just a way to make extra cash, as well as work full time and also gig on the weekends. And it was a good night. Let's see uh, what else. Oh yeah, so it was my 39th birthday. Got some wonderful gifts from family and friends. Thank you. My wife actually bought me a brand new pair of Fila sneakers that I absolutely love. And she also took uh, all of us to Avalon Park, which is a beautiful park on Stony Brook that I used to take my dog uh, Aloysius 
all the time. It's a very special place for both of us. Actually, um, about four years ago when I lost my brother and then I lost my job, um, Aloysius had just come off a, a very big surgery on his right eye. He had a corneal ulcer. And it was the most heartbreaking thing for me at the time uh, that, I had, that I had gone through. It was just seeing my little buddy, my best friend, uh, suffer from a cut in his eye that I don't know how it happened. Unfortunately, with Shih Tzus and any dogs whose eyes protrude from their head, their eyes are very sensitive, and that includes Shih Tzus, Pugs, and Bulldogs. But it was the uh, Long Island Veterinary uh, Specialist... Um, I forget the name, but the Long Island... Oh, yeah, it was Long Island Veterinary Specialist and uh, Dr. Sapienza and Dr. Kim that took care of Aloysius. Granted, it was a very expensive surgery, but that's the benefit of having pet insurance, especially something like Trupanion. So thank you, Trupanion, for giving me back uh, 80% of what the surgery cost. Uh, that was awesome. And you gave my best friend his life back, so thank you for that. So he was going through his healing process. I was going through my healing process and we both went through it together. You know, at the time I was unemployed and we, uh, you know, had a, had a, had a, uh, very special time healing together. So whenever anybody tells me, you know, Oh, it's just a dog. No, it's not a dog. It's not just a dog. Dog is your family. Dog is your best friend. Um, if uh, dogs understand empathy better than people. Now, mind you, I'm not an animal rights wackaloo, uh, wackadoo, or, yeah, yeah, wackadoo. I'm not an animal rights wackadoo, but I am an animal welfare uh, believer. Uh, I believe that, you know, animals should be taken care of, uh, and we as people should be able to provide safe havens for them, you know, raise them to be part of our families, part of our lives, and just, you know, establish a good relationship. So, you know, I, I would suggest, you know, anyone out there feeling lonely, you know, adopt a dog because they're, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, my Shih Tzu, Aloysius, is, God, before my daughter, he was my world. He still is. <laughs> Sometimes I come home and I'm like, where is my baby? And I'll go straight to the dog. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Or am I? But anyway. So she took so Aaron took us to Avalon Park. I got to walk up to the labyrinth with Aloysius, which was wonderful. He was having a great time. And Aaron took care of Anna over by the pond. They got to feed the ducks and the geese and the and the swans. Then afterwards, Aaron took me to Oceanside, uh, a place called Noble, which is a restaurant that we found on uh, Restaurant Hunter on Fios One. And she asked me, you know, what do you want for dinner? I said, chicken parm pizza. Noble has the best chicken parm pizza you will ever have. So go there and get it. All right, and the manager is actually nice enough to come out and say hello to everybody, make you feel at home. The wait staff is incredible, the drinks are great, and the food's just incredible. For our appetizers, we had uh, caprese, which is, you know, uh, tomato with mozzarella and with balsamic vinegar. It was to die for. Uh, fresh cheese, fresh tomatoes. The chicken parm pizza was great, and... Uh, plan on going back there again and hopefully bring more people because I swear to, th that that chicken part pizza is too much for two people and they, and they say on the menu you know just right for two people no you need like three minimum <laughs> three minimum to be able to finish that pie in uh, one setting but uh, that's what we did for my birthday and uh, you know thank you to my wife Erin I love you so much and it was just wonderful being with my family. I didn't really want to do anything else. I didn't throw a party. You know, normally I always have a party at my place or 
uh, you know, I'll make a, a you know, one of the hard drive concerts, like sort of like a birthday party slash concert. But I didn't want to do that this year. I just wanted to be with the family because, uh, you know, when when you're out busy hustling like I am, you you appreciate the downtime. And that's uh, what I did. And I had a wonderful time. So, and uh, thank you to everybody who posted on my Facebook and on my Instagram and sent me text messages wishing me a happy birthday. I really do appreciate it. So what else uh, do I want to talk about? You know, I talk about music every week or, you know, there was the one episode where I interviewed Dean, Dean Plakas about comics and, you know, and, and I believe that uh, all art has value, whether it's musical, whether it's film or whether it's, you know, animation, comics, uh, manga, uh, anime, you know, um, I love it all. So I think what I want to actually talk about um, on this episode was uh, movies. Um, I don't get to go to the movies often. Uh, The last movie that I saw in the theater was Bohemian Rhapsody, and that was in November of 2018. So my wife and I really wanted to go see a movie. She said, well, what do you want to see? I said, honestly, the only thing I really want to see is Joker. Um, and I have to say, I think it was the best movie of... Uh, it's it's the best movie of 2019. You know, I've already seen a bunch of films that came out this year. One of them was Avengers Endgame, which I thought was really, really good. I thought it was the best of the Avengers films. Um, but I really wanted to see Joker. I wanted to see Joaquin Phoenix's take on the iconic Batman villain. And all I got to say was, is I think that his performance as the Joker rivals, it, it equals Heath Ledger's. Uh, from the Dark Knight. It was just as good. Now, if there's one thing I ask of my movies, regardless of continuity or whatever, is that whoever is portraying a particular character is either as good or better than his predecessor. Now, I can't say that he was better because it's a different take on the Joker but it's just as good as what Heath Ledger did before him storyline was very impressive the setting was was great I mean you know it's funny seeing like these New York landmarks and they call it Gotham City in the film, you know? Right now, it seems like a lot of people are taking video or photographs of the stairs where Joaquin Phoenix shot for the Joker. And uh, that was in the Bronx, where my uh, sister-in-law and niece live. Actually, I don't know what part of the Bronx that is, but I know that... uh, Congresswoman Alexandria, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is very upset that people are uh, taking photographs in her beloved Bronx. Well, keep it up. Keep upsetting her. <laughs> anyway. Story-wise, it was, it, it, was, it was very good. I could see where they got inspiration from both Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, both which are Martin Scorsese films, both of which I love. I mean, King of Comedy was really good. I had just seen that for the first time ever this summer. (coughs) Excuse me. And um, it was a good movie. Um, it, It was interesting seeing Robert De Niro as a character that displayed some kind of social awkwardness. Uh, I don't want to say it was mental illness, but it was definitely social awkwardness. Um, He, 
you know, because we're so used to De Niro being, you know, uh, like the Travis Bickle or the uh, Jake LaMotta type character, you know, like that's where we joke, you know, oh, De Niro face, you know. And he himself was in the Joker as well. But the movie itself, uh, you know, it didn't focus on uh, De Niro as a main character. He was definitely a supporting actor. But when you watch the Joker film, you could see that there are elements of the actual Joker comic that that, that are in there. I mean, you, you could tell that they lifted... Uh, some things from The Killing Joke. And you can tell that they also lifted some things from The Dark Knight Returns. Killing Joke written by Alan Moore and Dark Knight Returns written by Frank Miller. Both of which are two of my favorite uh, Batman stories. And the, you know, everyone in the, in the film was great. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting take on, dare I say, mental illness. It was, it, was, it was an interesting take on pretty much what's going on in society right now. You know, um, they do not make the looters to be the good people of Gotham City. Um, they are just reacting with their own emotions regardless of how irrational their actions may be. And I think that's... It's, it's, it's a sign of art imitating life at the moment. But what I found interesting was that a lot of critics, and you can see this on Rotten Tomatoes, they gave it a bad rating. Because it kind of goes against their narrative. But the fans loved it. And if there's one thing I had to give Todd Phillips uh, all the credit in the world for, mind you, I, I don't consider myself a Todd Phillips fan because although I liked The Hangover and I liked Old School I thought Hangover 2 was a waste. And yeah, I'm I'm not sure what else he did. I think he's I think he also did uh Road Trip with uh Tom Green, Amy Smart, and uh Brecken Meyer. That was okay. Euro Trip was a better film, but he had nothing to do with that. Um he didn't cater to anyone. He 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 told a great uh, character study of one man's dissension into madness who constantly had to repeat that his plight wasn't political. It was, it was personal. And I think what happened is that, look, let's face it, we're not living in a time of peace. We're not. Um, family members are arguing with family members over political differences. Antifa is alive, especially in California and Portland, Oregon. Um, and let's face it, there's a derangement syndrome that's going on because of who is holding the, uh, the highest office. You could say that both uh, sides are guilty of having some level. And I'm not trying to show any bias when I say I definitely see it alive more with one side of the political spectrum than I do the other. And what happens is when you have a film that doesn't follow the narrative of what social social justice warriors. When you have a film that doesn't follow the narrative of what social justice warriors want to force down people's throats, because let's face it, they're not the ones who buy movie tickets anyways. It's going to lead to, well, in this case, great art. 
which is exactly what I think of when it comes to uh, the Joker movie. It's a work of great art. And if people have a hard time accepting it, okay, that's fine. You don't have to accept it. I do accept it. And I think it was an interesting characterization, not just of the character of the Joker, uh, Arthur Fleck himself, but of society in general. So I'd have to say, you know, me, I, me personally, I don't care about the Academy Awards. I sincerely doubt Joker would even get nominated for anything because, once again, it doesn't follow the um, the quote-unquote woke narrative of what Hollywood is putting out. And that suits me as a fan just fine because, to quote one of my biggest inspirations and heroes, Groucho Marx, I would never want to join any club that would have me as a member. So, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. And uh, what other movies did I see? Uh, oh yeah, on Netflix, I actually saw a movie called Dolomite Is My Name, which is based on the life of Rudy Ray Moore. Or should I say about five years of his life. So it kind of takes place between 1970 to 1975 from when he was getting his start in comedy to when Dolomite got released in theaters. Now, I am a fan of Rudy Ray Moore. I think his comedy albums were are some of the funniest. Granted, I think in today's society, a lot of people might take offense to them because they're dirty, they're raunchy. Uh, there's nothing politically correct about them. And I think that makes the best comedy. You know, it's, 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 it's meant to make you laugh. It's meant to make you forget about the craziness of what reality is. You know, whether it's a 20-minute stand-up set or whether it's an hour stand-up set. And I've seen a couple of Rudy, Rudy, excuse me, Rudy Ray Moore's films. I saw Dolomite, Human Tornado, and Disco Godfather, also known as Avenging Disco Godfather. <coughs> excuse me. And I got to admit, I love all three films. So... When I heard Eddie Murphy was playing him, I was like, wow, this might be one of the biggest roles that he'll ever have. And let me just say this. Eddie Murphy was perfectly cast as Rudy Ray Moore. And I thought it was beautiful that they dedicated the film to his brother, Charlie Murphy, who you may remember from Chappelle Show and CB4. That's where I remember him from. It was a great movie. Everyone who was casting it did a great job from Keegan-Michael Key to uh, Mike Epps to... uh, Oh, man, I'm trying to think of the names. Uh, uh, Bob Odenkirk, he was in it, too. He was well-casted. And I'd have to say of the Netflix films that I've seen, I've seen... Uh, Bird Box, I saw Molly Cruz the Dirt, and I seen this. I have to say this would probably be uh, the best film that I've seen Netflix put out. And it's a shame that it didn't go into theaters, but honestly, I don't think it would have had longevity in the theaters. I think for them to have put it on Netflix was probably the best thing. I'm glad it got limited release, though, before it went on to Netflix, This way people could see it in the theaters. But it's it's definitely meant to be a streaming film. And I don't want people to get the idea that just because it's a streaming film that it takes away from its value. It doesn't. A good movie is a good movie regardless of what kind of format it comes out in. Whether it's direct-to-video, whether it's video-on-demand, 
whether it's theatrical, whether it's televised. You know, I, 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 I don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I <laughs> put it to you this way. I saw Avatar in the theater and I freaking hated it. I saw Dolomite is my name in the comfort of my home and I loved it. So the way I look at it, if I'm watching a movie at home that makes me happy, then it sure as heck makes up for the crappy film that I saw James Cameron put out nine years ago in the theater. Which brings me to my point. So, some of the, I guess you could call them legacy directors, such as uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, James Cameron, uh, Steven Spielberg, a lot of them have come out and said, Um, some negative things about what gets played in the theaters nowadays. Um, For example, uh, Steven Spielberg mentioned that he doesn't accept streaming films that premiere on outlets such as Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime as real movies. James Cameron flat out said that he doesn't find any originality with the comic book adapted films, such as what Marvel puts out. And Scorsese stated that the Marvel films meaning the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is more of a, is more comparable to a roller coaster ride or an amusement ride than it is actual cinema. Now, personally, I don't think what Martin Scorsese said is wrong or far from the truth. I think that the Marvel films, as much as I love them, yes, it, it kind of takes you on a ride. They're very action-packed. They're very action-driven, although they do have a good storyline. Um, but as far as them not being cinema, let, let me tell you, there are a lot of people who work on those Marvel films. And I, I'm not talking about like anything pre-Iron Man. I'm talking anything from Iron Man up until um, Spider-Man Far From Home, which is probably the most recent MCU film that came out. A lot of people work on those films. A lot of uh, people who excel at their trade, excel at their craft, Uh, just to make a good movie. And I think they deserve all the credit in the world. However, I don't think what Martin Scorsese said is far from the truth. Because this is what they're putting in the theaters now. How could someone who wants to create something similar to what Taxi Driver or Raging Bull, um, how could someone want to or be able to put films like that in theaters in the hopes that people would support this writer or director when it seems like there are more popcorn films being placed in the theaters? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, I personally... You know what? There is one film producer who I saw one of his films on Amazon Prime after it was uh, released in a a few theaters that that aired. I think actually it it went to a lot of the the, uh, film festivals. Um... It was a film, it was a movie called The 
uh, in-betweeners, I think it was called. The name of the guy is uh, Peter Polk. Uh, he's from Long Island, New York, currently lives in California. He produces great content. I would love to see this guy actually get picked up by the majors and produce something along the lines of what he does, which is uh, horror mixed with suspense and mystery and psychology. I think he would be an asset to any uh, film company that would hire him to write or produce or direct a film. I would love to see someone like him have a chance. But at the same time, though, I would love to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Now, I'm very happy that James Gunn is back to doing Guardians. I'm glad that Marvel decided, let's bring him back. I make no bones about it. I'm not a political person, and I really try to not allow a person's personal politics affect my view of them as a filmmaker. So whatever James Gunn says now and whatever he did 14, 15 years ago, whatever he posted on social media, to me, it's like, all right, he was a different person then. If we're going to get into the habit of looking into a person's past to find something embarrassing that they said or did, you know, get a life, really. All right? At that point in time, James Gunn had written and, and filmed movies like Slither. He wrote Dawn of the Dead. His first film was a trauma movie called Tromeo and Juliet. And it was, a, it was a hilarious film where, guess what? In the end, Tromeo and Juliet still end up together after they find out that they're brother and sister. It was hilarious. It's just a movie. Take it easy. James Gunn is not advocating incest. Even after having written Tromeo and Juliet. Okay. Use some freaking common sense. But imagine where we would be if Lloyd Kaufman of Troma Films didn't give James Gunn that opportunity to write a script for Tromeo and Juliet. Imagine where we would be, where he would be, if he wasn't granted that opportunity. Maybe it's possible somewhere down the line he would have gotten an opportunity for some from somebody else. But would he have had the chance to direct and work on Guardians of the Galaxy? Which, in my opinion, is the best of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I, I love the two films. And I loved... Uh, Infinity War and Endgame because they had the Guardians in it. I even loved Thor Ragnarok because it reminded me a lot of the Guardians. So, granted, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, is what you, you know, probably, it, it probably uh, falls along the lines of what uh, Martin Scorsese was saying about it being more of like an amusement ride than it is an actual film. But let me tell you, the storyline and the characterizations were done perfectly for that film. Where else can you empathize with a raccoon who likes to shoot guns? You know, James Gunn made you care about that. And let me tell you, Rocket Raccoon was not one of the more popular Marvel characters before uh, the Guardians movie. Only a handful of nerds such as myself knew who he was. But 
I think James Gunn made you care about him. He made you care about all five of the Guardians. You know, to me, of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, I would say that the Guardians films are probably the most cinema that Scorsese was probably talking about. Still, to his credit, he also gave praise to the Joker film, saying that it was, he, he, he praised it. Which goes to show you that I, I believe Martin Scorsese still has his finger on the pulse of what makes a good movie. You know, I, and, 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 and I give him all the credit in the world. He's, I mean, come on. I, I'm not going to mess with the guy who did Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, uh, Goodfellas, Casino, you know, and that's just a handful of films. You know, I didn't even mention any of his other ones, such as Heat or Shutter Island, uh, The Departed, you know, I mean, it just, I, I, I think, I think, uh, Martin giving credit where credit is due is a beautiful thing. And I think Joker deserves all the praise that it gets. I of the of of the directors that I mentioned though, the two that I had a problem with was probably Spielberg and Cameron. Now, granted, Steven Spielberg has been involved in so many of the great films of my youth. From E.T. to The Goonies to the first three Indiana Jones films. We're not counting the fourth. And, you know, he was also the executive producer of the Transformers films. Michael Bay. Anyway. But, you know, for him to say that he doesn't accept the films that are streamed on... Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu as real movies, um, that sounds like to me somebody that hasn't evolved with the technology, with the times. You know, anyone who's involved in a film has to understand that when you're putting, uh, you know, something onto celluloid or onto digital tape, digital film, digital video, whatever it is. And when you're editing it, you know, that's that's money that has to get spent into that kind of work to invest in those kinds of resources. And, you know, you're going to need to find out ways to, you know, get your return of investment. Unfortunately, with the movies that they come out with nowadays... A lot of people are not going to the theaters because they're not appreciative of the message that 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 they have in their films. A lot of people don't want to go to a movie to be lectured uh, lectured by. They want to go to be entertained. But what they try to pass off for comedy nowadays just seems like one giant lecture. Hey, if I wanted a lecture, I would have paid to have gone to class at St. John's again. I don't need that from my films. I just want to be entertained. So, I don't know. Maybe Spielberg may not have, may not be in touch with his fan base anymore. Or he may not be in touch with what's going on today. But... I also know that he's someone who wants validation from the Academy. The Academy of Film, Art, and Sciences. You know, the people who do the Oscars. And, you know, a lot of people who are artists don't care for that. They just want to do their thing on their own terms. And just be able to do that and make a living from it. So if they have an avenue such as Amazon Prime or Netflix or Hulu to do that, let them go for it. It doesn't matter what you say. But again, all the respect in the world to Steven Spielberg, especially for the great films that he was involved with, 
still haven't forgiven him for Indiana Jones and the King of Crystal Skull. Whatever. But of those three directors, the one guy that probably irritates me to no end, I would say would probably be James Cameron. Which is a very hurtful thing for me to say because I absolutely loved the first two Terminator films. I loved Aliens. I thought True Lies was a great film. I even thought Titanic was a great film. But James Cameron has definitely become someone who has his head shoved way far up his backside. Um, for him to completely... What's... Well, I'm trying to think of the proper word. For him to completely dismiss... You know, some of the more entertaining and more well-written Marvel films as nothing good. You know, I, I, for, for him to say that, I don't know where, where he gets the audacity to even say that. I'm like, dude, okay, you are the guy who directed Terminator 1 and 2 and Aliens. Again, this is past tense we're talking about. You did those films. What you've done since then, some has been awesome. Some has been good. Some of it is decent. But most of it is crap. Okay? I didn't see the most recent Terminator film, Dark Fate, that he wrote. But apparently... The film did so bad because of the script that now uh, the people in charge of producing Terminator films are probably never going to release another Terminator film ever again because of how badly this did. So what's that tell you, Jim Cameron? Is it really the Marvel films that come out that are out of touch with what it takes to be a real movie, according to you? Or are you out of touch to figuring out what you know what you what you can do to keep your fan base? Because I, I tell you, I thought Avatar was the biggest piece of crap I ever saw in the theater. And I saw the Flintstones. And I'll take John Goodman as Fred Flintstone over this. For real. <laughs> so, you know, Jim Cameron may have to seriously think about where he's going to go from here. Because I, I don't think that... The Jim Cameron of today is not the same Jim Cameron of yesterday. You know? And I think success has a lot to do with it. Once you've attained a certain level of success and, uh, you know, on increasing your bank, it's possible that it could change you, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, in his case, for the worse. Because, you know, I've always believed in the line, stay hungry. You know, because even when you've attained a certain level of success, treat your art as though you still haven't gotten where you want to go. And I think that James Cameron has not gone that route. You know, I think he's very complacent in where he's at with who he is and what he what he's done that I truly don't think he cares about his output. You know, meanwhile, Todd Phillips, he himself said it that he's given up on comedy because anything he comes up with is considered offensive by everybody. Why stay at the party if you're not welcome? Go do something else. And he did something great. And that was Joker. And he stuck it. 
to everyone who was offended by his comedies, well, he really offended them this time, and good on you for that. Good on you for being a director who did, decided not to play it safe and screw with the narrative of what's happening in Hollywood, in society. You know, good on you, sir. I, and I, I would say that Joker is a masterpiece that is up there with Taxi Driver, with the first two Terminator films, with Aliens. And again, I'm talking about as a work of art. You know, it was it, it was that great. So, you know, you may have different opinions on what you what you expect from cinema, what you expect from uh, movies, and that's and that's fine. But me personally, I know what I like, and I've tried to dissect everything that these three directors said recently about said films and give my take on it. And I think that, uh, I think what I, I, I think what Todd Phillips did was surpass expectations of, of the highest caliber with, with Joker. I do know some people that didn't like it and that's fine. But I will continue to sing, you know, praises of this film. You know, because of the storyline, because of the direction, because of the acting. Everything about it was made it a perfect 10, in my opinion. Which is probably more than I could say about the recent output of the three directors that I mentioned. And I say that respectfully. Again, art is all how you see it. You know, and you may think I'm wrong. You may think I'm out of my mind. And that's okay. You know, this is something that we could have a discourse on. I'd all, and, I, and I'd be happy to um, hear what you guys have to say. You know, you can message me directly through the Music is Life Lou Mavs uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can even hit me up at lou.mavs at gmail.com. Yeah, I got an email address now. And, you know, I'd be happy to discuss with anyone, you know, how they feel about films. And, you know, to me, there's no wrong or right answer. It's all opinion. And, you know, it's cool to have a discussion like this. But that's all I really got to say about uh, my opinions on cinema today. So, again, I realize that the name of the show is Music is Life. But again, I'm all about talking about things pertaining to all forms of art. Again, whether it's music, television, cinema, whether it's a painting or whether it's, you know, comic books, anime. To me, all art is valid. So welcome to the All Art is Valid podcast. (laughs) But anyways, though, but that's all I'm going to say about that. So. One thing I did want to mention, though, uh, I saw the band Ginger in concert at Gramercy uh, Theater. Amazing. Check them out. J-I-N-J-E-R. Ginger. Great band. From the Ukraine with Tatania as lead vocalist. Their rhythm section is killer. Um, Check them out if you're into uh, heavy metal music that's got a great groove and some great polyrhythms going on there. And a girl who could sing like an angel and scream like a demon. Um, biggest condolences to uh, Bart Walsh, who was a member of the Atomic Punks, the Van Halen tribute from California, which at one point had members of Steel Panther in it. Uh, that passed away at 53. Uh, such a shame. He was a great talent. And he was also David Lee Roth's guitar player at one point. So rest in peace to uh, Bart Walsh. Also, big rest in peace to uh, Timmy Hansen, the original bassist in Merciful Fate. Uh, The Melissa album is one of my favorite albums of all time. I would suggest if you want to hear real metal from the 1980s, 
and it came out in 83, which was a great year for uh, hard rock and heavy metal. I would suggest everyone check out the album Melissa by Merciful Fate. Uh, rest in peace to Timmy Hansen. And a speedy recovery to Frankie Benali of Quiet Riot, who's also drummed with Hughes Thrall and uh, with Wasp. Um, I've met Frankie Benali. Why? Here's the thing. I saw Quiet Riot in 2000 at a club called the Voodoo Lounge in Bayside. There was about 50 people there. Quiet Riot was supposed to stay, take stage at 11 o'clock, 11.30. They ended up not taking the stage until 1 o'clock over a dispute regarding money that they were supposed to be paid by the promoter, Big Al. Um, needless to say, Quiet Riot were not happy campers that night. Again, they only played to 50 people. People were walking out because they weren't going on. And I can't say that I saw them in a good mood because they were definitely not in a good mood. But as a lifelong fan, I was hurt by it. Again, I was 19 years old and I didn't realize that you should never meet your heroes. Um, it took me the Scorpions and that for me to say, you know what, I don't care about ever meeting another musician that I grew up loving and respecting. But I'm not here to talk ill about Frankie Vinali. I wish him all the best. You know, uh, he has stage four prostate cancer. No, or pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer. Um, that's no joke. And I really wish him a uh, successful recovery and to have him back on the drums. He is a phenomenal musician. So, you know, I can objectively say, you know what, I, I just... I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to him. You know, that's that that's horrible to wish for anybody. But and you know, and and it's funny, in hindsight, I will just chalk it up to Quiet Ride had a bad night. I'm sure if I ran into either Rudy Sarzo or Frankie Benali today, it'd be a completely different story. Both of them seem much happier doing what they're doing. And let's wish them continued health and happiness. Other podcasts that I want you to check out. Check out the other podcasts on the network, on the Rat Saw Review Network. My buddy Wayne, Uncle Saxon, and Greg. Check their sh uh, show out. Check out J-Cab Morrison, Acoustic Kick Radio. Check out uh, Shaheen over at Wrestling Overdose. Check out Dave and Dave over at Dave, uh, Van Halen Unchained. Dave and Dave Unchained, which is a, a Van Halen podcast. Check out Talking Maiden with Josh and Nesbitt. Con again, congrats on 100 episodes. I'm glad some of the uh, Maiden songs that I voted for their top 20 made it. <laughs> like Alexander the Great. Ha <laughs> ha. Say what you will about it. I love that song. Anyways, I'll be back to entertain everybody at a later date with another podcast. This time I'll talk about something music related. But I just wanted to get this one about movies out of the way. So thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Bye.